Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. Time for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. We do this on the first Monday of every month, September through May. Me and three principals and one assistant superintendent. But today, because everybody's bagging the program, we have only one principal. Carol, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> what I feel bad that I'm not as busy as everybody else, but you know, I guess it just lands I, on different days for different people. <laughs> I think you should feel good that you okay. are not a bagger like the others. Um, but we're glad to have you on. I, I, it, you know what? I've gotten accustomed to having you all respond. We got a bunch of emails to respond to. We also have somebody. Okay who has called in, and of course on this program we always do callers first. So are you ready to jump right in? Absolutely. Let's jump right in. We have a caller from area code 425. You're on the air with me and Carol. What's up? What's up? It's also possible that the person is just calling in to listen. Caller, do you have something you want to talk about? Business. <laughs> no caller. I think not. No caller. But here's the good news. We have an enormous number of emails to get through. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Here we go. This one starts with help. I am an LSSP working for a school district that is sliding back to the notion of a typical Earn your points to get privileges and get out of classes level system for ED students. We changed to a more collaborative support model 10 years ago and kids got better. Legal-minded administrators and behavior specialists want a return to a simpler, more uniform point system. What evidence can I give to keep us on the collaborative path? Thank you. So there's two parts to that. First of all, I like the sliding back Um, wording, because that would be my perspective, especially if they're doing something that has been working. Um, Let me ask you this, and then we'll turn to the evidence part, which, well, we'll do the evidence part first. There's a whole bunch of research on the research page of the Lives in the Balance website. There are a few uh, papers in process that are from schools, so they should be published Sometime in 2016, sometimes these things take a while. Reviewers sometimes want things to be revised, but there's research coming from schools as well, and those will show up on that page when they're finally published. Um, What do you think about this sliding back, and does it have anything to do with being legal-minded? Well, it it can. I mean, uh, there's lots of reasons why something that's working can be discarded and, and lost. I think Susan alluded to that last uh, last month when she was talking about uh, having left her school where they had so many people on board and with the change of administration and then a, a whole bunch of other ch- staff changeover, um, you know, a different mindset comes back in and, and that slide back can just happen. 
so, you know, my, my guess is that perhaps that's part of, of what's happening with that school is if the model was in place and it was working, um, one of the reasons might be that there's just a change in direction um, from, from the top. Um, there is pressure. I mean, there isn't as much pressure in Canada uh, in terms of, um, you know, legality and, and uh, the accountability piece and, and data-driven decision-making. Um, we prefer data-informed <laughs> decision-making. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I, I don't know what kinds of pressures that administrators and teachers are under um, and districts are under in terms of of demonstrating, you know, accountability in that way. Um, it's a It can be a comfortable place to slip back to of, you know, you can see progress when kids are getting points and, you know, and like we always talk about, the majority of kids do do fall within, you know, our expectations for behavior. But it sounds like these are ED students. They've got some, you know, real uh, mental health challenges. And simply bribing them to to do more, I don't think, I don't, you know, I think we we would agree that they're not going to see a quick turnaround. Well, and, you know, I think it's tricky because... um, you know, uh, there are places that get really good at CPS and then a new administrator comes in or somebody who's new that oversees discipline comes in and just somebody new can come in and um, change things around. And it can be very interesting. I think we talked about this last time as well. It can be very interesting for the kids to be flipping from one thing or another. I think it's interesting for the kids even when curriculum changes um, and they become accustomed to something and then it gets done in a completely different way. It's sort of a very interesting thing that goes on in education where new initiatives are just coming down the pike routinely. Um, I think it's got to be pretty hard, and not just for the adults, for the kids too. Oh, for sure. And, you know, in some places, if I think if that collaborative approach has been um, in place for a while, then the kids can become advocates for it, and they can say, you know, this is helping me. This is, you know, they can tell their stories of, of what things were like under a different model and, and the, improve, the, you know, the growth and the relationships and the connections and the success that they're having. I think, I mean, I'm kind of getting into evidence now, but that kind of evidence from students can be really powerful. And it, they don't have to be high school age. They can be, you know, grade two students that can tell you that, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I used to get in trouble and get timeouts all the time. And, you know, then my teacher did this. And, and that can be very compelling. So if, if we want to look at evidence in addition to, you know, research-based evidence um, or, or, you know, hard data-based, I think those stories from kids are so compelling if they could make a presentation to the administration, if they need to have that administrator's permission or or approval to go ahead. I mean, I don't know who could not listen to that and be convinced. You ready for another? For sure. Hello, I'm a learning specialist and I work at an independent school in New Jersey. I know that your model does not support... I was kind of hoping Tom would be on for this one so he and I could 
duke it out over this, but right. I know that your model does not support behavior modification. What is your opinion on class-wide incentive strategies to offer positive behavioral support? Are there options that are not considered behavior mod but can be used as a group plan B? Um, it is true. Collaborative and proactive solutions does not include standard behavior modification strategies as in the form of rewarding and punishing, at least adult-imposed rewards and punishments. Um, it does include natural consequences because natural consequences are inescapable, unavoidable, and inevitable. But I don't think those are the type of behavior modification strategies our emailer is referring to. Um, but So let me just make that clarification. It's impossible to be against natural consequences because they're inescapable, unavoidable, and inevitable. The CPS model does not include adult-imposed or what I call unnatural or what I also call artificial consequences because the basic belief of this model that is that those interventions do not teach lagging skills and do not solve the problems that are causing challenging behavior mm -hmm. in students. But now comes the question that, uh, with those clarifications in mind, this next question is, what's my opinion, what's our opinion, on class-wide incentive strategies to offer positive behavioral support? And um, so I'm, I'm happy to, to shut up now and weigh in after <laughs> you do, but... Um, um, I guess one question is, in your school, are there incentive strategies in, in schools where CPS has been implemented and you've been involved in it? Mm -hmm. Did you find that the class-wide incentive strategies were a useful augmentation to CPS? I guess that's the well, yeah. real gist of the question. Well, it needs to be part of the, the CPS process, I think. So when you're talking about there have been situations where, you know, a, a problem or an expectation that isn't being met is kind of class-wide or it's the majority of the class, and so it makes sense to address it as a class. Um, and so, therefore, if the class is being um, asked to be part of the solution and find that mutually agreeable thing to try to rectify the problem or build some skills, um, that, that may be built in. So, for example... You know, if a class is having a lot of difficulty, you know, um, saying kind words to one another during work time, and this is something that's brought up at, through a class meeting, it's usually the way that I recommend that teachers do kind of a whole group um, problem-solving conversation is through a class meeting, um, get lots of students' input until we can really clarify, you know, what is the what is the concern of the students, and then the teacher can provide their concern. Sometimes the students will say, you know, well, then if we, you know, if we see an improvement, then how will we, re how will we, um, you know, show our appreciation to ourselves, or how how can we reward ourselves if we if we make this happen? So, I mean, it can be part of it. There's still going to be strategies um, or some kind of a solution put into place that the students and the teacher agree upon. Maybe there's a a signal that students are going to use to remind each other to be meeting the expectation, or a structure that needs to be adapted. 
but you know there can you know if if that's something that the class and the teacher decide that you know let's celebrate that that our solution is working or let's celebrate the fact that we're making progress towards our goal um i don't think there's a problem with that but simply saying you know well let's just put this incentive out there and hope that everyone can just work harder at it i don't think that's going to be effective so yes, there is a place, but it, it can't take the place of a solution. It can't be the solution, but it can be used to celebrate the solution. That's interesting. Because um, I've always been leery of what I've come to call the slippery slope. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. Do students... Do kids, do human beings focus on the right thing when there is also an incentive that they might be shooting for? Now, one of the reasons I'm not big on adult-imposed consequences in behaviorally challenging kids is because punishments tend to cause challenging episodes, and we don't want to cause challenging episodes. And a kid who fails to achieve an anticipated reward can cause a challenging episode. So while there are those who put those in two different categories, rewarding and punishing, I don't. They are cut from the same bolt of cloth, and I've seen both set in motion challenging episodes and challenging kids. But that's that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about class-wide What I worry about is, um, and I've seen this happen too, is kids and others begin focusing more on the reward that's being dangled than the reasons that they should be trying to solve this problem in the first place, which is not the reward. The reward is secondary. They're not trying to treat each other more kindly because there is a carrot dangling. They're trying to treat each other more kindly because of a whole bunch of other reasons that have nothing to do with carrots and that affect them all. That's what I worry about. Yeah. Well, and I can see that point, too, because it's it's very similar to our debate about letter grades that we're having. So, um, you know, there's lots of research into the effect of letter grades on student achievement, and it's none of it is positive. So even if you give kids the greatest amount of feedback on something that they're doing, which is similar to, you know, implementing a solution in CPS, they're they're getting feedback on their their action, on their solution. If you then tag a letter grade onto it, there's absolutely no attention paid to the feedback. And And it can be demotivating as well, even if the grade is positive. So... Yeah, I can I can kind of see both sides of the coin there where perhaps that external motivator, whether it's positive or negative motivator, can really be a detraction from what we're trying to learn and improve on the skill. That's what I worry about. I'm always wondering does is the carrot really necessary? I was having a uh, focus group once and <laughs> a very wise uh, attorney in town who's Uh, main to the core, said, what about just doing the right thing for the right reason? Yep. And I thought, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't like to distract kids or adults from the the main thing. 
And I, right. you know, in its most, in its worst form, I always tell, well, I sometimes tell this story. On my first day touring one of the juvenile detention facilities in the state of Maine, I went up to one of the kids who was a resident and I said, what are you working on? And he said, I'm working on getting my level. And I said, what do you got to do to get your level? And he said, I got to be good. And as I always say, he had no idea what he was working on. And the only reason he was working on what he didn't know he was working on was for goodies. But then I went up to one of the officers. Of course, this was seven or eight years ago. Then I went up to one of the officers and I said, that kid over there, what's he working on? And the officer said, he's working on getting his level. And I said to the officer, what's he got to do to get his level? And the officer said, he's got to be good. That's right, so there what was I no definition about. of what we were looking for. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know well, what we were working on, and there was only one reason we were working on it. Um, so anyways, now here's the yeah. second part of her question. Are there options? I don't know. I'm not positive I understand the second part of the question. Maybe you do. Are there options that are not considered behavior mod but can be used as a group plan B? My answer to that one is, yeah, do plan B with the entire group. If there's, as right. you were just saying, if there's yeah. an unsolved problem that affects the entire group, you've got to get everybody's concerns on the table, and you've got to come up with a solution that addresses all those concerns and works for everybody. Do you think that's right. what the question means? I do think that's what it means. So, really, it is just doing plan B with the whole group. Good. We agree. Good. <laughs> that's always nice when that happens. Are you ready for the next one? Sure. Um, It's similar. Uh, Many of our faculty have studied with you, Dr. Green. We are a responsive classroom school as well. My classroom is about rewards. Does the reward system for positive behavior work? Is there research I can read about rewarding a class for behaving? I am most interested in your opinion about behavior mod or a variation of the theme. Do we have anything further to say about B-Mod that we haven't said already? No, I think that's very similar to the last question in terms of, you know, rewards as the basis of your system of encouraging students to meet expectations. Um, that it's not you're going to you're not going to get the results that you're hoping for because the students who can will continue to do so and the students who can't will continue not to do so and you're going to be stuck in a in a vicious circle really so you know using using rewards even if you're just focusing on positive as the core of your of your entire system of of classroom expectations um you know, you'll get a modicum of success, again, like with the kids who can. And with the kids who can't, they're going to struggle. Well, and that's the thing. Most schools, aside from the existing natural consequences for doing well, and we'll we'll say doing well means meeting expectations at school, right? Yep. Aside from the... Aside from the um, natural consequences, which once again are ever-present, unavoidable, inescapable, and inevitable. Most schools do have an artificial consequences system where there are rewards 
and punishments for kids who are not responding to the ever-present, inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable, natural consequences. So one of the questions I'm always asking myself is, do the artificial adult-imposed consequences add value? Because both natural and artificial adult-imposed consequences are very potent and very persuasive. But here's what I have to be convinced of. Are the artificial adult-imposed consequences adding value when the natural consequences haven't gotten the job done as it relates to helping the kid meet the expectations that the kid is having difficulty meeting? So I guess from my perspective, I'm not coming at this from a um, uh, any perspective except a rather practical, common-sense perspective – but here's here's what I always ask. If if the natural consequences get, didn't get the job done, and they're very powerful and very persuasive, why would we think adding more consequences, those of the adult-imposed unnatural variety, would get the job done instead? And, of course, where I always end up is they wouldn't. Nope. They'd <laughs> need something else from us. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm – I can't disagree with that in any way. I just – you know, you you see it over and over again. It's one thing to read the book or come to a training when you actually start working with kids and you actually start seeing, you know, with some of the, you know, like Tom always says, you know, solve one or you solve none, starting with something that's not something smallish, you know, but that seems to drive teachers crazy, like children not being able to sit at a carpet time or, you know, having hands on each other during whatever, centers, and or, you know, uh, blowing up because they didn't get their homework done and, and you start to just ask them what's going on for them, and you realize how much we, as the adults in the school, can be contributing to these challenging episodes. Um, and you realize then how really quite simple it is to flex and adapt so that the student can have success and you can start to build the skills that they need to meet the expectation. Like, it's not rocket science, and it just takes the stress and anxiety level and uh, just frustration over a lot of these situations just comes down so quickly. I, I just don't know why anyone would not want to go for it. <laughs> like, I don't know why you would cling on to these complicated systems of tokens and auctions and prizes and levels and tickets and points and red light, yellow and yellow lights. And they're so complicated and so unwieldy and so ineffective. Like, I can think of my 20-some years in a teacher as a teacher. I didn't come to CPS until, you know, about year 18, and I would never look back, absolutely never. Sorry, I'll get off my high horse now. Well, I guess the trick is, uh, well, I, I think that the reason that it's automatic, I think that what adults automatically do is think of consequences. Automatically. Many adults. And the whole goal is to make automatic thinking. What expectation is that student having difficulty meeting? And when am I going to do plan B with that student so I can find out more about that? Mm. It's, it's a matter of moving from one automatic thing that has right. been sort of the automatic way of doing things for a very long time 
to a different automatic thing because there are too many students for whom the current automatic thing isn't getting the job done. But I often hear from people who used to do things that way and now do things this way. The common refrain is, um, I could never imagine going back because um, this does feel right now. Yep, and it does. It just it resonates. And the first time you actually try it with a student, and it might be a little awkward, and it might not go the way, you know, textbook that you would think, you know, after you've been doing it for a while, but but just the opportunity to hear from the student. And it it allows you, so many teachers and parents take kids' behavior so personally. They see it as a personal affront or a personal insult that this child is willfully trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, torpedo their whole day or their lesson. And when you shift that mindset into, this kid's just having a hard time meeting this expectation, they don't have the skills to do it. It's like I'm asking them to drive across town and they've never sat in a car, in the driver's seat before. Like, how well can we expect them to do? And so when you change that mindset, it frees you from a lot of that emotional baggage and you can really actually make better connections with kids because you're not looking at them as the problem anymore. And it's, it's a huge change when that happens. Well, and I always chuckle as I was just doing because um, I have two kids, of course, in my own household, two kids of my own. Generally speaking, I do not worry about my 15-year-old son scheming because he doesn't seem to be much of a schemer. But there's something about my 18-year-old daughter that every once in a blue moon causes, and I think it's mostly because she's less communicative. My son is very communicative. My daughter is less communicative. And so when a kid is not communicating, you are left to your imagination. And so it is my daughter who every once in a blue moon, I rapidly come to the conclusion, she's scheming. (laughs) And then I get myself all worked up. And I think about the possibilities. And I think about that something's being pulled over on me. And then I talk to her. And I discover that she wasn't scheming at all. (laughs) And she wasn't trying to pull one over on me. Um, So what I do is, I have to do is something that I, of course, tell other people to do. But sometimes when I'm caught up in the whole parental angst thing, I I go to some place I don't want to go. And I uh, have to calm myself down and think, Ross, what expectation is she having difficulty meeting, and when are you going to talk with her about it? Yep, and when then you actually hear their concern and you realize, aha, that's what's really going on. And it can happen even, as you're saying, with kids that you live with and you think you know well. So imagine how often it happens with you know teachers and students who know each other fairly well, but you know not on necessarily on that deep level. And it's very interesting that one of the first places we go is I'm getting scammed here. Yeah, (laughs) right? They're working me. They're manipulating me. Right. Isn't it something? It's true. It's true. All right. So that's that's just good proof that even the guy who lives and breathes this, this model 24 hours a day sometimes goes to that dark place. None of us is perfect, and every once in a while I find myself saying, that's fine, you're just off recess for today. 
You That's know, right. Kind of well, go, when, okay, it's, when uh, it's other people's kids, it's easier to stay calm. There you go. <laughs> Are we ready for another one? We do not have other callers, and the other one, okay. the caller that we had was not a caller. Let's do another, shall we? I'm glad we're getting <laughs> okay. to this one today. Ready? Sure. Okay. And I was, I was contemplating doing this in the parents' program, but I'm doing it on the educators' program instead because it is school-related. Okay. Here's this one, and I'm glad we're getting to it today. My child just started kindergarten and just started to exhibit significant amounts of anxiety. He doesn't even want to go to school at all. Until recently, he cried and screamed at drop-off. He never did this in pre-K. I asked the teacher to stop greeting us at the door and asking him questions about his day. He is now able to enter without crying. But as soon as the time comes for him to leave the class for lunch, gym, library, or anything else that takes place outside of the classroom, he completely breaks down and cries. This breaks my heart. It is causing him significant stress, and I'm not sure what to do. The school says that he is getting better, for example, crying less, but I'm torn as to whether he should remain in this school and whether expectations exceed his abilities to cope. He does have autism. Should we push him to eat in the cafeteria or should he be in a smaller school that is equally demanding academically but less so on the sensory and social fronts? I don't, I don't want him to hate school and start to do poorly. He is very bright and engaged and funny. But this first month of school has been a struggle. Do we tough it out? <laughs> the words in my head are highly predictable. Like this young man's challenging times are highly predictable. So we shouldn't keep being surprised by them and we shouldn't keep feeling like, oh my goodness, here it goes again. They are highly predictable. I don't know what level of verbal ability this young man has he's on the autism spectrum um let's talk to him let's find out and let's ask him what would be good for him and hope beyond hope that the school has the flexibility i mean it's highly predictable that a child that has uh, sensory issues is going to find a school cafeteria at the age of five overwhelming any even a child not on the spectrum could find that extremely overwhelming so i just feel like it's pretty clear <laughs> what ought to be happening here. They talk to this young man. Start with one thing at a time. It sounds like they picked out the cafeteria as as one of the issues and then move on to the others. Well, and that's what I was struck by is, um, and of course we only have a two-paragraph email here, so I don't like to jump to conclusions, but I'm not seeing any information from the kid. Yeah. And of all the things I feel like we need on these highly predictable unsolved problems, it's info because the fact that they're predictable, difficulty leaving the class to go to lunch, difficulty leaving the class to go to gym, difficulty leaving class to go to the library, makes these very easily worded unsolved problems. And so your question about... um, how verbal is this little guy um, who is, um, you know, my heart goes out to him as well. He's clearly struggling. The big question is, can he provide us with information about what it is that he's struggling with? Because then 
what, what's happening here is we are already thinking of solutions, um, and I get that. Um, that's something we adults do. We think of solutions that we hope might help. But I don't know if a smaller school that is equally demanding academically but less so on the sensory and social fronts would be what the doctor ordered because I do not know if those are the reasons that he's having difficulty leaving the class to go to lunch, gym, the library, or anything else that takes place outside of the classroom. So I wouldn't be looking for a solution to address those things unless I knew that it was those things. Because if we were to move him to a school that is less that is equally demanding academically, but less so on the sensory and social fronts, but actually sensory and social is not what's really getting what's in his way, on? then we would have moved right. him. Um, when we didn't need to move uh, We don't want yep. him to hate school or start to do poorly either. Um, it is fabulous that he's bright and engaged and funny. Um, all those qualities are going to serve him very well in life. Um, do we tough it out? Can't answer that question, of course. Nobody can until we know what's actually getting in his way and whether the expectations are actually realistic for this student right. at the age of five. Yeah. That's what's hitting me over the head. Totally, totally. And I really do hope that, that he can give them some information in one form or another because that's really, you know, guessing right now about what's causing him this distress. Um, so got got to find out. If he can't do it verbally. Put the curiosity hat on. Right. If he can't do it verbally... I would recommend what I have begun calling. So if he can't do it verbally and provide information that way, I would recommend that people try to do it by a strategy that I have begun calling as of this morning on the parents program, (laughs) give him the finger. Um, But it's really (laughs) give him the fingers. And that is, it does sound like mom does have some good theories about what could be getting in his way. So if he is unable to state what's getting in his way verbally, she may want to propose some potential theories and have him signal to her by putting up either five fingers, four, three, two, or one finger, Um, five meaning very true, four meaning pretty true, three meaning sort of true, two meaning not very true, one meaning not true at all, to have to see if information can be gathered that way. And here's the cool part. On the parents program this morning, we heard from a mom who called in to last week's program, and I recommended that she give her son the fingers, and she did. And, oh, boy, did she get a lot of information that way. Oh, that's fantastic. And, yeah, so she called in today um, and talked about just how well giving him the fingers worked. Um, And so that's what I recommend all the time for kids who can't tell you what's getting in the way verbally. Of course, if he is completely nonverbal, and she's not saying that in her email. Most people say that if they have a completely nonverbal kid. If he's not, we would want to do it in pictures, which is a little bit more complicated, but there are sample pictures in the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website, in the, pa- in the uh, paperwork section, so they can find sample pictures there. 
Um, obviously, we wish this mom all the best, and our hearts go out to both her and her son. Hopefully, the things we've just said will help, and of course, she'll get an email telling her where to listen. On the, uh, she'll get a link to this program so she can listen to the program if she didn't if she didn't get it today. That's cool. Great. Cool. Let's do another. Here we go. Uh, it's always great when it's just you and me. We get through a lot. <laughs> hey, man, we get to, and here's the best part. We get to hear from you a lot instead of those other jokers who we sometimes have on the program. Uh-oh. So, you know, this is, this is perfect. Yeah, we won't tell them I said that. Okay. Here we go. All right, here we go. I see why I put this in the educators program. Hello. I have heard about CPS a couple of weeks ago and have been informing myself and reading through the website since then. It is a great method, and I feel bad for years of punishing kids. Sometimes I get that reaction. In my current school, there are many behavior problems. I, like many, always thought it was a discipline problem, as people never really punished kids here, just told them not to do it again, and that was it. As a result of poor management and other problems, we have a new director who is determined to implement a much stronger discipline and make sure students get punished for their actions. I have always pushed for this, but after discovering your method, I'm now convinced this is the wrong way to go, just in time. I know they will still implement it, as they do not like things different from the norm here, but I would really like to try your method with my new fourth grade class that is mostly well-behaved but has some behavior problems. However, I'm worried that my coordinator and director will not agree with me doing this and wanted to ask you for tips on how to start your system slowly in my class and make it work within the system and how I can explain what I will do to parents. There you have it. Any okay. thoughts on that? But, That's yeah, tricky. absolutely. No, absolutely. No, um, I've, I've been caught up between this rock and this hard place myself because um, in, you know, when I first started as a principal and wanting to bring CPS to a school with students from a really highly um, needy socioeconomic area, um, who often didn't have a lot of skills that are needed to function in a kind of a middle-class structure of a school. Um, I was caught between, you know, what my head and my heart knew was right for kids versus the expectations of the school uh, staff and community. So here's what I would recommend in terms of kind of bridging that those two things. So the first is this foundation of this new director is probably going to be based on really clear expectations, which are very important, no matter what um, type of system. Kids need to know what's expected of them. And so, uh, you know, having defining very clear expectations for your class with your students, you know, co-creating those expectations. What is it that we need as a learning community to be able to function and learn well? Um, they're, they always come down to the same types of things. Um, that's going to obviously satisfy your director because they're probably going to be creating the same types of things for their school. Um, and then following the teaching process for those. So anytime we're, we want students to do something or learn something, we have to teach it to them. We have to model it. We have to practice it. We have to keep practicing it and keep practicing it and practice it some more. So all of those things can be happening in your classroom. And I would hope throughout the school, if the director is simply going to make a bunch of rules and consequences without then teaching them, having those steps and just expecting students to meet the new expectations 
they've got their head up a tree somewhere. Um, so I'm hoping that this will be mm. consistent with what's going to happen in the school. Um, but then within your class, as you're defining and teaching and modeling those expectations, you're going to start seeing students who are struggling. Just like when you're trying to teach and model and practice a math concept, you're going to notice as a teacher the kids who are struggling, and you're going to then provide some additional assistance for them. So as they are defining, teaching, and modeling the expectations in the classroom, noticing the students who are having trouble with those, and that's where CPS comes in. Then you address those one by one with those students, saying, you know, I'm noticing you're having trouble with this expectation. What's up? Hearing what their concern is, taking it step by step from that. So what do you think about the fact that she's going to be trying to do this in a building that is also moving rapidly toward adult-imposed consequences? Well, that's where you kind of maybe have to get creative <laughs> and say, you know, so let's say that the uh, the consequence for, I don't know, interrupting too much in class is, you know, that they miss recess and write lines. Heaven forbid, I hope, honestly, that that would never be considered an appropriate consequence. But to go old school, that might be a typical type of consequence that someone might bring in. Um, you can keep the child in with you at recess, but that's the time you use to do the CPS conversation. And so it looks like they're having quote-unquote detention, and yet you're using that time for something that's much more productive rather than punishment. That's what I would say. Yeah, for me, that's the tricky part is because what teachers will say to me is, classroom teachers will say, I want to do this in my classroom, and I almost feel like I have to shield my students from what the school is going to do to them if they should happen to violate something that is in our rubric system. Yeah. Um, because I don't think our rubric system is working, but um, I don't want to get in trouble fair. for not um, adhering to the school discipline code, um, puts teachers in a tricky spot because they don't think that sending the kid to the office is going to work, but the discipline code says that's exactly what they are supposed to do. That's tricky. And I just can't – I would love to be there on the day that they implement this new code, and right after lunch there's 42 kids lined up outside the principal's <laughs> office. The principal might be rethinking their policy a little bit, I can tell you from experience. Well, either that <laughs> or the principal would say, long. see – the principal might yeah. say, see, I'm cleaning up on the the mess of the last 10 years. Don't worry. We'll get this cleaned up. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. And and I can't say that that wouldn't happen, but as a principal, if I had 42 kids outside my office every day, I'd be rethinking my policy. <laughs> and either A, you go. to shift the responsibility to someone else, but, you know, yikes, yikes. Yeah. Well, there are, the truth is there are actually lots of principals and assistant principals out there who have a big line outside their office right this minute. Or maybe not right there. <laughs> right this minute. We have other time zones. Yeah, maybe. And they, they may be thinking to themselves, you've got to be kidding. This is not what I signed up for. There the problem, of course, is that way. they're not sure what else to do. Right. Right. Um, but that's what this program is for. That's what the Lies in the Balance website is for. And, and um, the Facebook page. Lost at and school. The Facebook page and, and everything down. we do, right? Yeah. Right, and the and the annual summit that is in Portland, Maine, on October sixteenth, and the first. So that I could go. 
Uh, you know what? We might it, the location. <laughs> we might do it in other cities moving forward. So we'll see. But okay. there is the one in Calgary that's a three dayer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the end of October. That that's has great. a bunch of dynamite speakers, and you can find that on the Lies in the Balance website as well. Fantastic. There you go. We're going to call it a day for today, Carol. I'm glad we had a, had you to ourselves today. <laughs> Ditto. It may not always be so, but it's nice to get your thoughts unimpeded when we can get them. Well, you know, I enjoy having the – I love the sound of my own voice, so it's always good. <laughs> Let's call it a day for today, and uh, we'll Thank be back you. on November 2nd with another program. Thanks for your All time. Right, take care till then. You're welcome. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.